Queen was a terrific value. And when you look at how the Ravens got Queen in terms of all the sordid missteps of other NFL GMs, I thought that was fairly strange. Got a lot of weird stuff happening ahead of the Ravens. It's a very high value pick. Overall, with this draft class, how'd you kind of come away feeling? I thought it was good. If you took the draft network's big board value and you subtracted the value the Ravens used on each pick, the Ravens ended up with like plus a thousand points, which is the equivalent of over the course of 10 picks, picking up an additional pick about equal to number 16 in the whole draft. I'll tell you, you came on pre-draft and the people loved you. Well, it certainly was wrong pre-draft about who would put the Ravens go for. I'm sure that's going to come up. Mike was also wrong, so. Ha- haven't you learned anything about the media, Ken? It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. That's how the media biz works. <laughs> Welcome into the lounge. We're still breaking down this draft class because who are we kidding? It's a, when it's a great draft, we're going to spend some time doing the deep dive. Yeah, I know. Some people, as soon as the draft happens, we joked about this, uh, I think, after round one. As soon as something ends, people start to turn the page and say, what's coming? You know, what's the, the 2021 mock draft looking like? You already working on yours? <laughs> Those have already come out. Those have already come out. It is really funny. Those come out like the very next day. What it, what cracks me up is Ravens fans like getting super jacked up about our undrafted rookie class. I, it's it, it always happens every single year. It's so it's so, and I'm I'm not being sarcastic. Like it actually makes me really happy. That's how that's how diehard our fans are. It's like you get these draft picks and then you're like, oh my god! But did you see this undrafted fullback mm-hmm. whose dad is a wrestler? Like it's just <laughs> it's. Did you see the highlights? It's just it's really funny. But anyway, we're no, gonna do I, the deep I dive. Also, I think that part of the reason for that is that the Ravens have obviously had so much success. Yeah. with the yeah. undrafted class that it's almost like now the draft happens and as soon as that's done, it's like, well, who's the undrafted the guy that's going to make the team? How many years running is it? I don't know. It's seventeen, sixteen, something right. like that. 16, 17 years, at least one undrafted guy has made the team. And so yeah. at the end of every every draft, it's like, which one is it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Um, yep. So that's yep. actually... I mean, they feel got... like bonus draft picks. Right, right. And, yeah. and you know, uh, that great conversation between um, Eric and John after the draft, they talked about how these were some guys that they almost you know considered drafting. Yep. And Eric said the yep. same thing with us on the podcast earlier this week. So um, yeah. it's... You know, they have them really highly rated. So we've got a number of emails that we're going to read. But before before we do that, I want to make sure everyone knows that if you've been reading scouting reports, you know the Ram trucks are Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year. The Ram 1500 is a top pick with an available Hemi V8 engine, e-torque hybrid technology, and a 12-inch touchscreen. Plus, it offers a truckload of available features. It's the same with the hardworking Ram 3500 Heavy Duty for generous Generous cash allowances and great lease offer. I always screw that up. Generous, 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 generous cash allowances. It's tough to say. Uh, Great lease (laughs) offers. Go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer and take advantage of the great deals going on right now at Ram Trucks. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into some of the emails. Uh, We've got a number of them to the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. As we're talking about undrafted free agents, Carl Lawson wants to know, did the Ravens call these guys before the draft was over and indicate that they would want to sign them? If they weren't selected, signing 20 undrafted free agents within seemed like minutes after the draft, it seems like a miracle. So how does that process go down? Yeah, they definitely, by the way, you're going to hear my kid, my one-year-old continues to wave to you and say, hi, Garrett. You're going to hear this about 20 times during the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Um, anyway, yes, that process does begin uh, before the draft actually ends. They reach out to players' agents and say, you know, just in case you don't get picked, we express we have interest in you. And and I think it's even before like the seventh round. I mean, yeah. it could be in the days or weeks leading up to it. Where I mean, the Ravens sometimes will bring in guys, at least reportedly, who aren't going to be drafted for official visits, right? Mm-hmm. As part of the, as part of their thirty. Obviously, it didn't happen this year, but like just as a way to kind of get to know the player better, sweeten the pot, let them see what they would be signing up for here. Uh, so I think that it's definitely a process that the Ravens put a lot into and they start on that pretty early and that's why they're able to get, I mean, it's a mad race around the league. The Ravens aren't the only team that are calling players early. Everybody's doing it. These players get hit up by a lot of teams. They're competing against different offers. You know, everybody's competing against salary offers and the Ravens reportedly are not a team that generally spends a ton on their undrafted rookie class, which other teams will tend to spend a little bit more so the Ravens have to work kind of double time to recruit these guys. Well, it is a recruiting process. That's the thing that's different once you get into the undrafted free agent process. It's no longer just take your pick and come on down. It's a recruiting process because you're, you're going up against the 31 other teams in the league. I, and some of the t- guys that we've had on the podcast who have gone undrafted have talked about, they get the call in like the fifth round. And it's like, they're like, hey, this is... Whether they got whether it was the Ravens or another team, I think Tony Jefferson. I remember him talking about it. It's like get the call in like the fifth round, and he's like, "All right, here we go, here we go." I'm like, "Now, nah, if you go undrafted, uh, then we would love to have you." And, right? And you're so, like, "What?" I know, I know. So it's a little bit tough on the players, I think, but um, the process does start early. And uh, Mark Acevedo is the scout who leads that up for the Ravens. He does an awesome job. And uh, like I said earlier, the Ravens have a great track record of it. So um, another great year, reportedly, with that. So one more question, or a couple more questions. This one comes from Dylan John. With the draft now complete and no outside linebacker drafted, will the Ravens turn to the veteran free agent market? Or could a trade be in play by sending a player like RG3 or Gus Edwards somewhere? Well, this was the first part of this question was something you asked Eric at the end of the podcast earlier this week. Yeah, yeah, I, I like kind of jokingly asked him. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't get like a total full serious answer. But he got, <laughs> he got, he, uh, cause I had to like kind of slip it in at the end there. Um, you know, he gave us the old we'll see. Uh, not that I, you know, he's generally not super open about what his next move is going to be. So, um, I don't know what I expected. But anyway, I, I, I do think the Ravens will sign a veteran, uh, pass rusher. I think the, probably the most likely candidate would be Pernell McPhee. Uh, and then if they're going to hit the open market, and now would be the time to do that because it doesn't affect the compensatory pick for next season, you know, I still look at a guy like Clay Matthews. Now, he didn't factor into that because he was released by the Rams, but I still think he would be a good fit at the right price. Um, it's just Everson Griffin's another name out there. Uh, Marcus Golden now from the Giants, they're going to part ways with him, it seems. Um, but I think Griffin and Golden are going to be too much. To me, it's Matthews. Could Matthews like agree to a team-friendly deal? I mean, the market is very weird right now for pass rushers. When you saw Jadavion Clowney sitting out there, you know, uh, reportedly he's already dropped his asking price, not to the level, to be clear, not to the level that the Ravens, I think, would be in play right now, unless they pull off some magic that I don't know about. Um, you know, never never count out Eric DaCosta, I suppose, but... Uh, I, I think it would be a cheaper deal for somebody like McPhee bringing him back and Clay Matt or Clay Matthews. To me, the Ravens weren't in any big rush because they could see what they got in the draft, 
And now that they're out of the draft, some of those dominoes can fall. Yeah. And as I've said a number of times, I still don't view pass rusher maybe quite as urgently as a need as some other people uh, might feel like when you look at this year's class um, in terms of what the Ravens have. The other part, I'll, I'll look at the second part of this question, which is the running back piece. You know, we've got a number of questions about the running back piece because now that the Ravens have all these great running backs in, in Ingram and Dobbins, Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, could you trade one of them? I don't know that I see at this point the Ravens making a trade for one of those guys. If they were to have a, I guess, a great option fall into their lap from a pass rusher standpoint, sure. Um, but Eric DaCosta talked you know, pretty clearly with us that the Ravens like the four-headed monster approach, and he compared it to what they had last year at tight end. Now, yeah. of course, they ended up trading one of those tight ends. So, so <laughs> the year after, the year after, yeah, they, they did. After they you get one year, year, the monster. Yeah, I I think that the Ravens will have all four of these running backs on the team this year. I don't. I would be very surprised if they end up sending one of them elsewhere. I tend to agree. Uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if one were dealt. You know, but I I, I tend to agree. Um, I I still think that RG three RG three trade could be in play depending on how teams feel and what they came out of the draft with or, you know, later on how they feel about their backup situation come training camp, injuries. I just I just I still look I, at I RG3 and I think get like you, Yeah. I get what you're that saying. That guy that guy would love I think RG three, as much as he loves being in Baltimore, I, he would like a chance to be a starter again. So he's where he's not gonna that? stand I mean, in the way. Cam Newton can't get a job right now. I, that's true. That's 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 very true. I think and, it would it would have to be an injury situation once like this next tier of free agent signs like Cam Newton goes somewhere, um, and somebody were to get injured. I think that RG three could be in play in that situation. Maybe, but I mean, there's already talk of Cam Newton basically accepting a backup role, and would he go somewhere where he'd be a backup? Jameis Winston obviously just went. Uh, to the New Orleans Saints, clearly in a backup role. So I, I know there's been a lot of talk about the possibility of the Ravens trading RG3 at some point. I mean, we've gotten this question probably a dozen times since the Ravens signed him two years ago. Um, yeah. And they haven't been able to do that yet, if they've even tried. Um, so I, I would be surprised at this point. I mean, you know, like guys who have been starters more recently than RG3 and, and played at a decent level uh, but had injuries had, I just are struggling to get – to get, I mean, yeah. Joe Flacco. I don't understand that. Like Flacco right. hasn't been very good the past few years, and he's had a lot of injuries. But still, Flacco hasn't got a job yet. So like, right. there's there's starting recent starting quarterbacks who can't get jobs right now, uh, or are not happy with the job offers that they have coming their way. Right. Um, and so I would be surprised if a team were to try to make a trade. All right, uh, one more question, and then we're going to jump into our interview with Ken Cusick to really kind of dissect the draft this is from jesse niederberger he says i love what eric DaCosta did in the draft especially getting two good inside linebackers with different skill sets and they complement each other now he's a little sad that we won't see chris or purple as am i because i put him in my mock draft so i was hoping for that um, but i'm guessing he just didn't want to sign with the team who already took two rookie inside linebackers earlier i think that makes sense um also, with the Ravens appearing to prioritize beefing up the run defense, I see people speculating that this is just because Derrick Henry rushed for so many yards against them. I'm wondering if they're actually anticipating a league-wide resurgence of the power running game because teams see the success of the Ravens and the Titans this last year. So are we going back to old-school football, ground and pound, four yards in a cloud of dust, three yards in a cloud of dust? Yeah, I don't see that. No. <laughs> um, you know, I do think that the Ravens, 
are a team that certainly did not take it well that they were run on, especially in the playoffs, by Derrick Henry, right? And and they are a team that first and foremost prides itself on stopping the run. And then here's the bonus. If you stop the run, good luck throwing on the Ravens secondary, right? I mean, when you when you pay as much as the Ravens have and put as much draft capital into into it as they have in the secondary, then you have to stop the run or it doesn't matter. They'll just keep mm-hmm. running on you, right? So I think that the Ravens uh, got a little bit back to the old school approach. Ozzy showing his true colors coming in. You know, you got to stop the run first and foremost. And I think that uh, the two in- interior defensive linemen will certainly help them do that, along with Calais Campbell, along with Derek Wolf, who's a great run defender also, and Patrick Queen, the inside linebacker. So I think they're much improved in stopping the run. Uh, and I think they also will take steps forward in their pass rush, even though they didn't draft an outside linebacker. Well, we want to talk to uh, somebody who knows this defense very well and to give us a great perspective on that. And we'll talk about those linebackers. So let's go ahead uh, and jump into our interview with Ken McCusick. You know him from filmstudyravens.com and also 105.7. He does a great job with all of the film breakdown uh, around the Ravens. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ken. Uh, I'll tell you. You came on pre-draft, and the people loved you. <laughs> All right? So we had to have you back on. Well, I certainly was wrong pre-draft about who was <laughs> I'm sure that's going to come up. Well, uh, Haven't you learned anything about the media, Ken? It doesn't matter. You just say whatever. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. That's how the media biz works. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, Mink was also wrong, so he joined yeah. you in that. Yeah, that makes two of us. <laughs> the Pied Piper of Lemmings. I took him off the off the cliff. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Ken, just uh, you know, we want you to talk obviously from a film perspective about what you see from these guys, and and I know that you did you did say you like Patrick Queen above Kenneth Murray, didn't you? Yes, Queen above Murray. Yeah. So, what is it about Queen that you preferred uh, when you looked at his tape? Okay, great. Uh, he, he's uh, a little faster, sideline to sideline, certainly has a little bit more idea uh, in coverage, though I think Queen's current level of coverage is kind of overstated in terms of what he can do. I think he's, he will have trouble adapting to the NFL. That said, he has the tools to do so eventually. Uh, so there, there, were, there were lots of things to like. Um, he's not quite as uh, fast or as big as either of last year's two number one picks, the two Devons, I call them, Devin Bush and Devin White. Um, but, uh, you know, he, I think his impact sideline to sideline running, pursuing will be, will be felt. And I think the key is around him, there are some good players as there were for in front of Ray Lewis for a number of years, uh, you know, that helped him have some free run to, to make plays in the middle of the field. Now, when you joked about being wrong coming into the draft, and, and I think what you're probably referring to is you felt like the Ravens wouldn't use a first round pick on a linebacker. That's right. I, I, I thought it's an opportunity to be fiscally constrained or organizationally constrained because you only have so much total draft capital and you only mm-hmm. have so much total cap capital each year. And they did such a good job of platooning an inside linebacker. It could have been a long-term solution for the Ravens. Uh, you know, Martindale certainly very adept at uh, fixing the holes on the team last year, as was DaCosta in terms of finding the right guys. And I just thought that there was a there was a reasonable chance they would continue with that, go with a cheap inside linebacker solution, 
and uh, and draft other needs at number one. So maybe a pass rusher would have been a, a different guy to get there. Right. So, you know, then the way that I think there's always different projections that you can make going into a draft. And then obviously you see how the board falls and what happens in the draft. And then you see the players that are available. When, when Queen's there at the end of the first round, it, what were you thinking? Um, because he was somebody who the projections varied a little bit. Um, a number of people had a mock to the Ravens, but there's also plenty of mock drafts that had him gone before pick number 28. So when he's there at 28, and, and something that DaCosta shared with us this week was that basically, you know, they go into it looking at guys on their board that are sort of between, say, 20 and, and 24, 25, and say, mm-hmm. we're going to get one of our top 24, you know, one of the, one of the, these guys most likely is going to be available mm-hmm. to us at number 28, and you take the best one at that spot. So anyway, what were your thoughts when he was falling, and he's there for the Ravens at 28, and it seems to me, well, I understand what you're saying, he's a plug-and-play guy, and now you have your starting linebacker for the next five years, and you feel really good about that position. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what other players I wanted, Xavier McKinney was the top guy on my board mm-hmm. at the time Queen was taken. So he would have been the guy I would have gone for. I thought he met a Ravens need. Uh, yeah, but Queen was a terrific value. And when you look at how the Ravens got Queen in terms of all the sorted missteps of, of other uh, NFL GMs, I thought that was fairly strange. The, the Damon Arnett pick by the Raiders at number 19 is one of the really weird ones because the Raiders have done it again. And Al Davis used to be the guy responsible for this, but now we've had two straight years of Mike Mayock. Last year, they took Cleveland Farrell at number four, who they probably could have had at number 15. And he says he tried to trade down, but he didn't try hard enough if he didn't accept less than the J.J. Point value, substantially less. And again, Arnett is a guy they could have had middle of the second round, probably, at least at 35. And you know they basically did every other team in the National Football League a solid by taking him at number 19 or certainly all the teams are drafting between, uh, you know, 19 and 40, say. Uh, and and that, that was a strange one. Jordan Brooks at 27 going to the Seahawks is something that the, their fans will never let them forget if it doesn't work out. So uh, got a lot of weird stuff happening ahead of the Ravens that allowed Queen to fall to them. And I think it's, it's a very high-value pick. I think that's what Eric DaCosta was kind of talking about. Like, you just – everybody thinks the board is going to play out like we all read in mock drafts. And, but you can never count out just some team – doing something that you don't expect, right? Like it happens every single year. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's exciting. It's what makes the draft so much fun to watch is, exactly. is you you have this. Exactly. So Ken, tell us how how does the addition of Patrick Queen and not only him, but Malik Harrison, you know, these two inside pass rushers, these defensive tackles. How does how does this Ravens defense change because of the defenders that they drafted? Yeah, a, a big changes obviously, and, and as I would see it, there's the short answer is there's about 25 percent of packages that they played in 2019 that kind of go away. And just to go quickly through there, the quarter package which they played 3.9 percent of the time, they they'll keep a inside linebacker on the field now for all downs. It'll be uh, Queen uh, probably on the field for all downs. So I think the quarter package goes away. Uh, the jumbo nickel last year they played. That was kind of a compromise they played to improve the run defense by taking Patrick Owasso off the field and putting on a third defensive lineman. It's it's really rarely used in the NFL and certainly in Ravens history. Um, but 8.5% of the snaps in 2019, they played this jumbo nickel. So that's out. Um, the race car dime, I call it. Other people might call it a NASCAR package or whatever. But they put four outside linebackers on the field with either – 
one defensive lineman or one inside linebacker. Um, they won't play that anymore because they're going to want Campbell on the field and they probably want other defensive linemen as well. And they're also going to want to have an inside linebacker on the field on these dime packages now, I believe, probably Queen. Uh, so that's 12.3% of the snaps in 2019, a really you know, substantial portion. So between the three of those is about 25% of packages that are just going to go away. Martindale's really rebuilding the scheme of this defense with the players that were drafted. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see them kind of take a different approach, right? And say, we want we we want a lot more of our pass rush to come from that D-line and then have these fast linebackers. I mean, Harrison's a pretty quick guy, too, that are just good blitzers that we can send in there. But it is it is fascinating to see how they continue to evolve. And, I mean, I guess that's a good thing, right? I mean, if you continue to do the same thing that you did last year, offenses will adapt, too, right? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, you know, Harrison is a guy, he didn't really make sense as a three-down player. He made terrific sense as a two-down solution. But the more I look at him, there might be more to him than that. I'm, I'm looking at Malik Harrison, and I say, he's 6'4", 247. The guy he reminds me most of in Ravens history is Jamie Sharper. Uh, oh, Jamie wow. Sharper, same kind of size, uh, came in as a two-down player. But Jamie Sharper, when he left the Ravens after the 2001 season, had become a really important part of the pass defense. He had six sacks and 12 passes defense. Think about the last time you heard a linebacker having a combination of statistics like that in yeah. one season. So, uh, you know, I, I love Jamie Sharper, man. I yeah. loved Jamie Sharper back in the day. How much, how much fun. He's a very raw energy kind of guy, too. Yeah. Yeah, good player. So with with Queen Harrison, do you think it's too simple to look at it as, or or do you see it this way? Queen is the lightning, and Harrison's the thunder. Like the the, the big the big linebacker, and Queen is the sideline to sideline guy. Sure, that's that's uh, I I would agree exactly. I think when they're on both on the field, I think that uh, Harrison will be the Mike, uh, and you know Fort is still to be decided what you do mm-hmm. with his snaps in there. But let's assume that Harrison and Queen are on the field. Yeah, Harrison will be the Mike linebacker, and and Queen will be the Will linebacker, and uh, he'll have much more responsibilities that are that, is, that are blitzing and uh, other things similar to that, as opposed to um, having to. Um, uh, uh, go and cover and maybe cover a tight end or even even some zone coverages, he'll, he'll have more blitz responsibilities probably. So I'm curious to see what you think of Justin Matabike, the third-round pick, because you know the linebackers are, are rightfully attracting a lot of the attention, and defensive tackle isn't necessarily a spot that you know we spend too much time talking about just by nature of the position. But this is somebody who is really athletic. He runs a faster 40 at the, at the combine than Baker Mayfield, so he's got speed. He's got athleticism. He can provide interior pass rush. Which, by the way, I love how you were pointing to this Baker thing. Like Baker's so, suddenly like the fastest guy <laughs> in the world. I keep I keep seeing that, and it just kind of cracks me up. Yeah, but Baker was. I mean, it's not like Baker's a bad athlete. Like this. Is I know. A, I know. It's just the funny comparison. Yeah, but just, just. I mean, but but Baker was a Heisman Trophy winner who right. also ran a lot in college. Wasn't just like this. He's not the Philip Rivers or Tom Brady statuesque passer. What? And he's like a hundred pounds later. So I I get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, regardless of that aside there, Ken, uh, what, do, what, do, what do you think of, of Matabike and what he can provide for this defense? Yeah, first of all, I'll agree. Lightning quick for an interior defensive line. There's only a couple guys in that 479 to 485 range that he was in, and, uh, and he's very fast. What I love about him is I almost always say about an interior defensive lineman that they might be a good stunt under guy, and I think Matabike has some of that that he could – 
do by by being a guy who can cross a face and go to the shoulder of the opposite lineman and create two 45-degree angle blocks that creates a big advantage when one peels off. But in Matabike's case, he can be the over guy, and that's kind of unusual for an inside lineman to have the, have the quickness for that. Oftentimes, your, your over player is an outside linebacker who can do that. That gives more flexibility in terms of how they do their stunts. And, you know, so, a guy, so do you see Campbell being the – is Campbell the under because he's so big and powerful and, like, maybe he can even put some pressure even if he is the under guy? Yeah, Campbell and Wolf both are, are terrific under guys. And so gotcha. he's going to have the best to learn from. And, and Wolf uh, has been praised by Von Miller, you probably heard, in terms of him yeah. creating sacks for him. And that's what he means is, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. You were going to say <laughs> No, no that's else. it, really. I, <laughs> okay. That was the whole point. So with Dobbins, too. Uh, I mean, what Eric said, that he was really – he thought he could have been the first running back off the board. What makes Dobbins – so special and that was even you know separated him from some of the other top running backs in this year's class and then second how do you see him fitting in so well with this Ravens offense and what they like to do okay well start by he ran behind a great offensive line at Ohio State so he's got that advantage the one thing I look at just analytically when you look at where his carries went it's very little difference in his game-to-game production Never was under 4.3 yards per carry in any game. Um, he didn't do it all against the bad teams. He, he had 9.3 against Clemson per game. I think it was 9.3 um, in the, in the uh, playoff game. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I, I like that. He, he definitely brings something as a receiver. Uh, his catch rate is very high. So I like those components. Uh, I think they'll, they'll, they'll carry four running backs. I, I, I know there is a change to the rules, both in terms of roster size and the uh, practice squad practice and how squad. that could be used this, uh, this year. Maybe you guys can tell me more about that because I really don't know the ins and outs on the practice squad. But I can tell you, as we were watching the draft, we're, we're giving away those extra two spots about five or six times by position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you that we, we talked about this right before you joined, that it, it makes sense that all four of those guys are going to be there. And I understand that it's just a crowded group. Um, and, and there could be a notion of, do they try to trade one of them, but the Ravens run the ball more than anybody else. And Eric DeCosta talked about basically they got a four headed monster now. I mean, so and each of those guys does do something a little bit, a little different. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, the, the hardest thing to get used to is going to be Dobbins learning the mesh point, because that's something that uh, it, it, it doesn't come right away. It was very fortunate that Ingram was able to, to deal with it so quickly, but uh, it's, it's not something necessarily that, that without a preseason program or without a longer preseason program, they're going to be able to get the timing right. That's really right. about how you delay through that mesh and how you give Jackson the time to make his read and, and allow for enough time to, for him to read the leverage of the defender to the right point that he can pull it and go. Does, does he remind you at all of Ray Rice, Dobbins? Size-wise, certainly, uh, he's got power in terms of his running style more than he has speed, so that's very Rice-like. Uh, you know, there's there are I'm sure other people would point to other things. So size-wise, he's he's uh, you know similar. All right, so the offensive lineman, uh, Tyree Phillips, and then Ben Bredesen. They go back to back with the offensive lineman. Different types of guys. Phillips, obviously, the big guy who played tackle, who they're interested in potentially kicking into guard. Where Bredesen was the four-year starter. Um, but he's a little bit undersized, so he's got the you know the production, but he's undersized. What do you 
What do you think about the likelihood of Tyree Phillips making that transition from tackle to guard at the pro level? I, I think he will make it. What I, I watched one complete game, and I had not scouted Tyree Phillips before this. I didn't really anticipate him being on the Ravens' radar, honestly. But I watched him play the Texas A&M game, Mississippi State versus Texas A&M. As a bonus, I got to see some BK from that game. But he, he played left tackle, of course, and his arms are extraordinarily long, 35 and an eighth. And what he would go for is great hand placement on his opponent. And when he got it, he'd go to the armpit on both sides, and the rep was over. It was just he locked his defender out at long range. He was dealing with a guy who's big, 6'4", and he must be highly recruited because he wears number three for Texas A&M, a guy named Tyree Johnson with two E's, um, who's out of D.C. But anyway, I, I was very impressed with that performance. The other thing that was kind of encouraging was they had him make five level two blocks in the game where they, where they schemed him for that. And uh, that included a pull into the middle. So some encouraging signs of mobility from that more than what I would have thought from, you know, how he's built physically. So that was positive. He's going to have to learn to pull on the Ravens system because I think they want to be able to go either way. But what I would think they want is for him to be a right guard candidate where his lock-on ability is going to be able to allow him to torque the defender as needed in the pivot. And so, you know, you always push – push with your, your right arm and pull with your left arm, or usually do on that side where the, where he's caving the defensive tackle in. And that's, I think that's really what they got him for in terms of qualities. And then of course, Ben Bredesen as well. They double up on the uh, interior offensive linemen. Do you see Ben as a, as a left guard? Can he be a right guard? Can he be a center? What do you see from him? Because different body type with shorter arms than yes. Tyree. Yeah, so very short arms. That's really the defining characteristic and the limiting characteristic of Ben Bredesen. I don't hear people talking about it, but 31 and an eighth is like historically short. First percentile for his size, okay? And it's it's one of the shortest by mockdrafttable.com that, that it was in the stride. first percentile. Anyway, so Patrick McCary, who had all kinds of problems with length last year, is a half inch longer uh, in arm length. So right there, I think we've got the potential brewing for significant issues in the NFL. Now, that said, he's been a good pass blocker in college. Uh, he's had issues with run blocking, and I think he would not be the great candidate to be on the pivot. He'd be a better candidate to be the pulling guard. So I would think because the Ravens' offense is right-handed, generally speaking, he would be pulling from left to right would be the more likely way you'd go. So you're saying more likely a left guard. More, more likely a left guard of the guards. And I, I want to point out, I think center is a very likely landing spot for him in the end based on, on makeup and whatnot in terms of what we've heard about his memory and things like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. I, I'm curious what you think, if you're predicting it right now, I want to hear your starting five offensive linemen because Ryan and I have talked about this a little bit, and I really think that the competition at right guard is bigger than just who's going to be right guard because I think you need to look at all three of those spots kind of in, in general at center, is it Skura or McCary? Is Bozeman in the mix there? Obviously, you're talking about Bredesen, you know, not necessarily maybe this year, but like, what does give me the starting five offensive line, uh, knowing obviously the tackles are set? Right. Okay. So, starting three. Um, so, I think if I had to guess right now, just because of what they've been in terms of the offseason, not been together, and who knows how long they'll have in a preseason, I'd say they stick with as much consistency as possible. It'd be Bozeman and then. Whoever is healthy of Scurry, if Scurry is healthy, he's got the job again. Otherwise, it's McCary, and at least to start the season. And then at right guard, I think it'll be Powers on day one. 
Interesting. Mm. And now there's reportedly DJ Fluker in the mix too, you mm. know, who could be in the mix. So there's a ton of competition there between Powers and Fluker and Tyree Phillips. So F- Fluker, perfect for right guard if the Ravens can get him finally coached. He's been in the league for seven years, 36 and three quarter inch arms, which are some of the longest in NFL history. So it would be really interesting to, to, to have him try and be the torque guy on that right side. I, I'm, I'd certainly be all for it. But they've got to fix a lot of other things. He had a ton of penalties in uh, his career so far. And uh, he had 22 stalled drives and six others that were declined penalties, which also means they're probably stalled drives during his during his career so far. So he needs to cut down on that. Well, you have he, a one file. question for you. But yeah, I was going to say, can we shave some of his arms down <laughs> and give it, give it to Ben Bredesen and now we're in business? You know, if he could, if he'd sell four inches of his arms, that'd be great. Ben Bredesen all of a sudden be, I'm sure, a very effective NFL lineman. Well, we'll, I, we'll see if DJ Fluker's a team player or not. We'll see. <laughs> what I what I want to know is what's the file name on your computer of every guy's arm length in NFL history? You know that DJ Fluker off the top of your head has some of the longest arms in NFL history. Where do you keep this information? I, I'll tell you how I got it. There was one prospect this year who had the exact same arm length as Fluker. And they, they mentioned in the PFF draft guide that he had some of the longest arms in combine history. Gotcha. So okay. That's how I know. Okay. Nice. It might've been Matt nice. Peart of Connecticut, or it might've been Ben Barch. I forget which one, but it was one of those two. And, and Peart went actually in the third round, not too long ahead of Tyree. And it was interesting hearing from DeCosta. He said, you know, some of the offensive linemen, linemen started popping off the board and we wanted to jump on a guy. Yeah. This is kind of interesting. Anyway, the wide receivers, Duvernay, and Prochet, how do they kind of fit into this mix? Do they, you know, kind of take a number of snaps away from Willie Sneed? Do you primarily see him in the slot? What, how do you see those guys working into the offense? Yeah, it's it's quite a challenge now because uh, you know it's a it's a it's a crowded stable of slot ponies now, and they're they're going to have. I think that it keeps Brown on the outside. And, you know, seeing what Brown likes to do after the catch, that's probably the right place for Brown to be. You can get him open anywhere <laughs> on, the, on the field, particularly if you're extending a play. But, but you know, he's, he's less comfortable getting hit, obviously. And, and yeah, if he's, if he's catching balls over the middle, he's taking a three-yard loss at the end of it so he doesn't get hit. So if you want him on the outside. <laughs> right, I agree. And that's where he challenges the defense most is on the outside, too. So, so I agree. Um, you know, DuVernay has a lot of the same qualities – as Snead does. They're both kind of built like safeties. Duvernay even a little more, more muscular than Snead, I think, which is unusual for the younger player. But I think that he gives the Ravens a little bit more in terms of fear and uh, you know how they identify the defense with the motion guy. So the Ravens use a lot of their motion on the tight end and the fullback between Ricard and Boyle usually to dive into the middle on those double teams. Well, if they use Duvernay, then he can cross the middle and you get a better sense because they're very anxious to try and get him covered properly of where he's going and uh, where the defense is going rather, rather say. And then he also has some of the size necessary. He's going to really have to have to work to be a good NFL blocker. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's muscular enough. He's physical enough. The question is, can he get to the body on some of these players? And they don't ask a lot, just a level two or level three block. And he can really help the Ravens uh, run offense. And then Prochet, do you see him making an immediate impact on offense or is he more of the return guy um, and then the offensive role could maybe come down the line? Yeah, I think he's more the return guy. That's why I, I think right now it's, he's, you know, he's a great 
catch percentage guy, a great hands. So um, if they if they did suddenly have an opportunity created by injury, I think he could step in and take a bigger role. But it may be more like his role develops, kind of like Kamar Aiken in the past, that he's a special teams player, and then he and then he jumps in all of a sudden. Opportunity happens, and he catches seventy five balls. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So overall, with this draft class, how would you kind of come away feeling uh, about what the Ravens put together over the weekend? Well, I was excited, you know, just seeing the players come off the board individually. I, I think the linemen are the two I'm most concerned about in terms of picks. I really like Stone, by the way, in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. he was he was a good value too. Um, but overall, I, I, you know, I thought it was good. And then I had a, a guest on it for a short yesterday, and they talked through, uh, you know, relative value of each pick. And the Ravens, uh, if you look at the draft network board, which is where a lot of people do their mock drafts, you know, it's an easy draft simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, what he, what he said is that if you took the draft network's big board value and you subtracted the value the Ravens used on each pick, the Ravens ended up with like plus a thousand points, which is the equivalent of over the course of 10 picks, picking up an additional pick about equal to number 16 in the whole draft. Wow. So basically That's they just incredible. got so much better value mm-hmm. than do you know off the top of your head, was that the best in the league? No, there were, there were, it would think it was either third or fifth. It was okay. in the top five, but it was Arizona had the best draft in the league. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Well, yeah, um, it's, you know, there's a lot to be excited about, and uh, you've given us some things to think about. Now, now we got to figure out, you know, how Wink Martindale is going to dial up some of these packages. How do you come up with these? I also love the names, you know, <laughs> the, the 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 race car, the double dial, whatever all these different names are. You've got your own, you've got your own playbook here that you work off of. Yeah, it's, it is my own shorthand, and I'll, I'll apologize for that. But the jumbo nickel is because I really always <laughs> want to keep the coinage the same. You know, I was always talking uh, five defensive backs and nickel. I think NFL teams, some call it penny. I know the Bears do. I don't know what the Ravens do, but I'd love to hear from you guys if you have a chance to stop uh, Wink in the hall someday and ask him, you know, what do you, what do you guys actually call the 335 nickel? And, and he'll tell you. <laughs> I love that. You see, this is why I love when Ken comes out to be availability because he has different questions than the rest. I would never in my whole life think to ask Wink Martindale what he calls that. But Ken <laughs> would. And that's why I love you, Ken. <laughs> Well, hey, Ken, Ken, thanks so much uh, for coming on. And for fans who are interested in more of your covers, they can get that at filmstudyravens.com. Um, and that's also your Twitter account. And it's a uh, great place to, to stay on top of the, the deep dive that you do. And we appreciate you giving us some great perspective today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, really good stuff from Ken. Uh, he just does an awesome job and just has a, a brain that is much smarter than ours, particularly yours, Garrett. Well, you just set a low bar. <laughs> we'll just say ken's a smart guy and we, and we are not smart guys <laughs> yeah, he really he really does a fantastic job um he spends a ton of time watching tape not youtube highlights he actually watches the tape <laughs> the, the all 22 um and you know I, I don't know if he ever was a football coach or would want to be a football coach but uh if he was interested in that he probably could be so love the analysis and the insight from him uh but before we go ryan uh this season when you trade up to ram trucks you're getting power luxury and technology like you never imagined and don't you don't become the back-to-back motor trend truck of the year for nothing and with a ram 1500 you can get a lot of everything from re- rear legroom and a reconfigurable center console all that's available now plus you get a lot more storage also, you can trade up to the Ram 3500 and get 410 standard horsepower in a gas engine. So just go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer and hurry in for great deals 
on these Ram trucks, the back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year. So, uh, again, great stuff from Ken, and uh, we got to some of the emails, and and there's more that are in the mailbox, uh, the mailbag right now that we want to get to. Um, So you can go ahead and email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. We'll be back with you next week. Sure, we'll be talking to some of these rookies, bringing them on, and a lot more analysis to come. So make sure you tune in next, eh, probably what, Tuesday? We go on Tuesday, Thursday now, Garrett? What are you thinking? Yeah, we're probably, that's a good actually note for fans. Uh, you know, we went from five days a week at the start of the lockdown. Um, then we moved to three. And now now that the draft and free agency are over, we're probably going to go to two days a week. There might be a bonus in there. Uh, you know, we did the bonus podcast on Saturday night after the draft. So there could be some bonus episodes in there. But we're likely going down to two days a week. So, um, But even with two days a week, there's still going to be a ton of great content and guests. Uh, that's not going to change, even if the number of episodes does. So we'll, prob- we'll probably, let's go ahead and say probably, be back with you next Tuesday. Tuesday.